no hands. If you missed out last week, please listen to that sermon um, and then listen to this one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off where basically we really ended. And he, and he started to, to point us towards, we hear from God, we've got a word from God. Do you believe or don't you believe? Uh, do you receive it in faith or do you ask the question of, Lord, are you sure you can do this? Uh, if you remember last week. And we want to say, yes, Lord, we believe. And then really went into the growth part. And he went into the don't take the seed out. Um, and then it dies and, it, and, and we actually kill the seed. Um, so we're going to speak on, on something specific. And I've got a few stories to share as we, as we enter this. So on the next slide, you'll see a photo of Rudy's lawn. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's not even my lawn. Google, Google uh, helped me with an image. Anybody know that little phenomena that is on your grass by a show of hands? Who's ever seen that on your lawn? If you haven't seen it yet, you have unhealthy lawn, <laughs> just by the way. So that is, it's a little mushroom, or oh, there's three of them. And often they appear the morning after a thunderstorm. However, we haven't had a thunderstorm in George for a while, but my lawn is covered pretty much in these little mushrooms. The jock is smiling. He wants to say something, but he's not going to say something. His whole brain is going all scientific. I'll give you the science lesson um, 101. So the reason that little um, mushroom grows is actually a good thing because it points to substance in the soil that you can't necessarily see with your physical eyes. Um, that little mushroom means that there's, there's a few conditions that needs to be there for that little thing to grow. And for the most part, it's moisture, and there's microbacteria present in the ground. And the, the combination of the bacteria, moisture, little sunlight is always a good thing. And the next morning, ta-da, it's there. And we think that that little mushroom just grew overnight. It had a spurt of, I'm not sure, testosterone or protein shake the night before. And boop, up comes a little mushroom. But there was actually some activity, are you with me? There was some activity that already happened. There was an environment that was already cultivated. And then the last little dose of catalyst was added and boop, pops up the little mushroom. This is not for your Sunday afternoon salad. Um, just all the children is like, Daddy, Raymond said there's mushrooms on our ground. It's like, um, it's not for your salad. If it is for your salad, uh, we'll pick you up the next day. Um, so that's, a, that's one little condition that I want to speak on, and we're gonna, I'll share just now what we're going to speak about. But it's about environment, and there's a few conditions that made that little thing grow. Uh, it's a good thing. If you go into the website, unless there's now some other angle that I don't know about, but for this morning, mushrooms are good, okay? So if you know some other doctrinal or, or doctorate angle, it's not valid for this morning. This morning, mushrooms, Google says it's good um, because it shows healthy lawn. The next story, Google says, the next story, uh, Google speaks a lot of nonsense as well. The next story I didn't take a photo of just because it's a, I'm not very proud of it at this moment, but I'm busy, I'm busy growth journey with growing the most beautiful hedge that the city of George has ever seen. Um, and luckily it's on the inside of my wall, so uh, not a lot of people can, can see it. Um, I'm just teasing. And it's growing awesomely. Except for if this is the tree, 
about a one, two meters on the right, or my right, your left, and then two meters on the other side, the growth is very, 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 very frustratingly slow. And it looks like, and it looks like the plant is actually still the same size as what I bought it nearly two years ago. The moment you go beyond two meters, the hedges, I've already had to trim it twice, and I've got a pretty high wall because I stay in a busy street just to damp some sound. Two meters on this side, and what's that, 45 centimeters. It's, it's like, whoop, no growth, no growth, exponential growth. Although it's taken two years for that thing to, to grow. So the first one, there's a condition, there's all these environments, and it's the microbacteria, and it's the moisture, and, 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 and whoop, grows. This kind of three on that side, three on this side, six trees, they're taking the beating of their life because the tree, my only tree in my yard, that you can pray for my wife agrees to chop down so that my hedge can actually grow and then I'll plant another tree. But the hedge, still, just first hedge, then tree, not tree, no hedge. Um, so you can pray into that. Thank you so much. But the reason why the hedge is not growing, is that tree, and I'm going to say it quite vividly, is sucking up all the nutrients in the ground. In that, radi- oh, in that radius, in that, in, that, in that vicinity, in that very frustrating patch of dust. Because the ground is so dry that I can give extra TLC, tender love and care. I give it extra fertilizer, extra water. The tree is growing, but the hedge, it's not over the hedge. Because you don't have to jump very high. It's level with a hedge. Uh, Hammy would have done this, and then he would have been over the hedge. I think it's Hammy that, uh, that plays. In, is it? Yeah. Um, so there's our two scenarios. Beautiful, quick growth. Not necessarily quick, because there's all these kind of things that's already there. Into a two-year, very depressing, very, very challenging anti-growth um, both in my lawn, they're about 10 meters apart. One is growing, the other one is not, all because of the following. Conditions of the soil, because of environment. Unfortunately, these three, six trees found itself in the environment of the big tree in the middle, where the grass, uh, with all the mushrooms spring up, it just happened to be all these microbacteria. I found something else that was quite cool, and that's the reason for one specific patch that has more mushroom growth, there was a tree that I also chopped off, yes, and the bark is busy rotting underneath the ground. So there's more testosterone in the, in the earth in that, in that specific space. Um, it, it's just beautiful. So this morning, lo and behold, title, Grow in Truth. I don't want to focus, although I can't go away from the truth, and I can't go away from the growth, we're focusing on the end. Physically, the position, the location, where are you growing? The in bit, like where are you planted? Does that make sense? Are you planted at a tree that's sucking up all the nutrients out of the ground and you're not growing or you are growing, it's just very slow? Or is there an environment in your heart that when the Spirit of God comes, when the Word of God comes, it grows because it's ready? Does that make sense? Awesome. With a subtitle, uh, the dwelling place, the place of growth. And that's the in that I want to focus on. It's going to be 
a dwelling place. Next slide. Dwelling demands, if you think about the word dwelling, dwelling demands a place. Dwelling demands a location. Dwelling demands a position. You can't dwell in nothing or nowhere. That's called weirdness, okay? It's, it's an environment. There's, there was this um, TV program way back when, when I still had TV and when I still watched or viewed TV. The program's name was Going Nowhere Slowly. Who remembers who sinned with me watching TV? Thank you, Scotty, for confessing. Um, <laughs> joking. Going Nowhere Slowly. I think it was a, like a traveling like the Vech Tijdskrift and like a four by four thing. So the guy, I think, traveled around the, the country, like going nowhere slowly. It had a bit of a catchy name, but as I thought about it afterwards, it's like, who the heck wants to go with you? Like, you just go nowhere, just go nowhere slowly. You can't go nowhere. Uh, and I love the, the, the moments that Pierre stands here and he reminds us that you can't come to something that you are. We are church. You can't come to nothing. You can't exist in nothing. You can't grow in nothing. It's a place. It's a location. It's, a, it's an environment. And this morning we're going to speak about the environment of our hearts, um, ultimately into that dwelling place. But we're going to start off with the following slide. We're going to start off with the tree. <laughs> the negative. We're going to start in the negative side. And I titled it, Do Not Dwell Here, Unhealthy Soil, Slash bad nutrients to get rid of. Does that make sense? Bad nutrients to get rid of. We're going to start on the negative, but praise God, we're going to end on the positive. And um, before you go to the next slide, here's where I found the negative side. I was all for the positive until Monday morning, um, tomorrow, a week ago. Drove to a specific coffee shop, sat there. It was my time with the Lord. And a few weeks ago, we were in First Samuel. Currently, I'm in Second Samuel. And the six verses... That we're going to read now. Yes, the six verses that we're going to read now. It's like, what a vivid description in six verses of a life that you shouldn't have. That's what we're going to read now. The nutrients in our hearts that we shouldn't have. And it's always good to start with my heart. Uh, you can put your own name in that phrase. It's always good to start with my heart. Lord, am I a tree sucking up nutrients to prevent my own growth and other people's growth? Or am I microbacteria and moisture and all these fantastic things that uh, allows the word of God to actually take root and grow? So 2 Samuel 18, sorry, 15, six verses of Absalom's life. If you ever have a son, don't name him Absalom. Although he was very good looking. Don't go for the looks, go for the heart. Go for the heart. 2 Samuel 15, 1 to 6, everybody with me? Yes, here's nutrients we're going to kill this morning if it's present in, or what, in whatever context. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Some of us get up early to train. He gets up early for different reasons. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, it was the king's role to serve in that regard. It's, a very, it's very important. It's the king's, it was his domain. Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper. What does that do to someone? Someone wants to listen to my story. Your claims are valid and proper. 
but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. It's a loaded six verses, and that with one extra verse basically summarizes the environment that Absalom had in his heart. Basically summarized the environment that was here. For me, as I read it, it was actually at a very specific time in my week, I was like, Lord, I asked you for an answer. Couldn't get any better than this. Um, so we're going to delve into a few points of environments that we don't want as church. Second Samuel 15 verse 1, just to focus on this one. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. And the point we get here is Absalom's soil of self-provision. That was an environment that Absalom has cultivated in his own heart. I'll provide I'll build my army. I'll gather some forces, if you will, to to help me in my quest, because obviously wants to now overthrow overthrow his his father David's throne. But it's all about it's all about him. Last week Rudy spoke about God gives you a word. How do you respond so that God can get the glory out of that word that he gave you with a focus on God? Not necessarily the word, although the word and God can't separate the two, but you can't have the one without the other. And here, Absalom is saying, I'll show you what I can do in my own strength to conquer and to make life kind of livable for myself. Self-provision. It made me think of Abraham. God came with a word. He said, this is what I will do for you and Sarah. And there was the moment of self-provision. And the result of self-provision was an Ishmael. That's often what happens when we try and, who's ever been there? Uh, God gives you a word of provision, and you start to have chaselsis, as Rudy mentioned it last week. You start having chaselsis with the yira of, Jesus, this is how I will help you provide for me. Who's ever done that? I did it. It, it really sounds, what word can I use? Um, yeah, sinful. Let's just go sinful. It's, like, it's, it's really sinful and unwise and uh, it's, really, it's really bad. Lord, thank you. You're going to provide. And as you're trying to provide for me, maybe I should sell this uh, and I should sell that and I should do this and I should do that. I'm not saying it's very specific and personal to everyone. Uh, if you have some stuff to sell, but if God says, this is what I want to do, Get your hands off it, I'll show you. In that context, it's, it's hands off and God will do it. And how often we get our fingers in the pie when God wants to show that he's provider. That's what Absalom was doing. He's like, I'll provide. I'll build my little army uh, all by myself. In David, as we read First Samuel, God just added. He just added. And people wanted to follow David because of his heart. So, so uh, Absalom was just self-provision. Next slide, Second Samuel 15 verse 1 to 3. And then verse 6. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. 
whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, it was the king's job, Absalom would call out, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from the one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So first, we get rid of conditions of self-provision in our soil. Secondly, Absalom had a soil in his heart of manipulation and actually dubbed it in brackets, an unhealthy overcare. Unhealthy overcare. I'm getting goosebumps as I read that. And was throughout this week. Second Samuel 15. Church, we have to stop. If that is context to us. And that's where the Lord himself, face to face in the mirror, will speak to each and every single one of us. We have to stop manipulating people to listen to us if there's someone that needs to make a decision. It's not good. It's not good. An unhealthy overcare. I can't speak to Ryan. Hey, no, come speak to me. Come speak to me. Um, uh, let, let me win your heart. But he actually needs to go to Ryan. Actually needs to go to Rudy. Actually needs to go to Pierre. But now I'm standing here. I'm using myself as an example. Hey, come and speak to me. That whole information dependent, not info dependent on Facebook or Instagram. That's a, that's a social media one. The more I know about people, the more powerful I feel. The more info I've got about people, the more powerful I feel. Because then I can play the game. It makes me woosquad. I can't say anything else. It makes me woosquad. That's an Absalom type of soil. It's not a Jesus type of soil. Never mind David. We can't manipulate people and we dub it, I care. You can speak to me. It's sinful. It's evil. God's word says manipulation is just witchcraft. And I do not want to stand before Almighty God one day with a whole list of, hey, Raymond, here's your witchcraft list for, the, for your lifetime. I'm, I'm saying it for what it is. I'm all not for me, hopefully. <laughs> and if not, that's also cool. Don't fall for that trap of thinking that you care, Raymond, thinking that you care. But it's not lack of info there. If it's not yours, it's not yours. Inga, my wife, for those of you who are here for the first time, her name is Inga. Her dad taught her one lesson. Hopefully he taught her more. I had to teach her a lot. But um, <laughs> joking. Is she here? Praise God. Uh, one of the lessons that her dad taught her, rephrase, sorry, Paul, um, was the following. If it's got nothing to do with you, leave it. Don't get your nose in people's business. And I was a spider. What's that in English? Um, a spider. <laughs> some, some police force getting involved in info. In, detective, inspector. <laughs> Anyways, I can stand on this slide for the next half an hour, but I won't. This is a church moment. It's a family moment. People of God, please don't manipulate people and call it care. Second Samuel 15. Go read it um, if you want some more of that. Next slide. Here's the next point because we're going to the victory side. We're going to the, to the winning side. Four to five. And Absalom would say, if only I were appointed judge in the land. 
Then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that they received justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. A bit of manipulation there as well, obviously, but mostly only if I was appointed to be the judge. Context, Absalom was David's son. Uh, obviously, Solomon took over, but here's the point I want to make. If you're the king's son and you're good-looking, you're pretty much set in life. I mean, what, what more do you want to ask for? And I'm saying it lightly and jokingly. I mean, you're the king's son, like, hey, king's my dad, got some good looks, sorted. What did Absalom have? No, 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 that's not enough. I want the title. And the reason I'm dubbed it premature ambition is because there was a lot of premature ambition in that context. But the other reason why is last week when Niels stood right here and we prayed for them as they're moving to Pretoria. And he had a word that he uh, released over the congregation. And it was, don't fall for premature ambition. It kills you. Spiritually, it kills you. In Absalom's case, it happened to be physical as well. It's, a, it's an environment in our hearts. Again, by the love of God, by the mercies of God, that we view in the mirror. And we go, Lord, if there's any premature ambition in me, I don't want it. I don't want it. Your timing, your sovereign hand, your gift, your call, however it looks, I yield to you. I submit to you. He's the one I seek. And that's, that's where we're going now with, uh, with the latter part. And then lastly, remember this is all things that don't make us grow. Um, that steals, steals God's word um, from, from our hearts. Second Samuel 18, 18. During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. <laughs> For he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself. And it's called Absalom's monument to this day. It pretty much summarizes his life. Last point on soil that steals God's word is the soil, next, next slide, ultimately the soil of pride. I mean, imagine, this is actually, I've got a funny picture in my mind. I don't, I don't know how to share that with you, but imagine you come to my home and right at my gate, someone cheated a concrete statue of me. I stay there and someone like, made this mold. That's the word I was looking for, a mold, a concrete mold of the best photo session I've ever had in my life, and it's, I'm standing there, and as they enter my door, just to make sure that they know it's me, another little mold of Raymond, and then as you walk into my home, photos of, obviously we've got a family photo wall, um, and I do feature there because I happen to be the husband and the, and the dad of the house, but it's just, it's just pictures all over, monuments all over, and that's my, that's my home. So I guess, imagine walking in here, and there's photos of Pierre, Rudy, and Raymond, and Lena, all of us, like, just to make sure it's, so this is almost black. It's whack. It's whack. Is it almost black? Yeah. It's almost black. It's the almost black. It's ours for a Sunday morning. It's, it's a, but it's, it's a spiritual thing. But Absalom here made it very physical. It's like, I just want to make sure everybody remembers me. No generational, no, who can I set up for success? Run, jump, go for it. No, no, no. It's Absalom's monument. We get rid of, we get rid of the self-provision, trust God. We get rid of the pride. We get rid of the manipulation. 
and the premature ambition. Yes, so we can grow. Let's focus on the victorious part. But rather, dwell here. So don't dwell there. Rather, dwell here. Healthy soil. Cultivate this environment. And we sang the latter half of my sermon. Psalm 27, verse 45. Here's what David writes. One thing I ask of the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze in the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Um, I wrote here, um, David's heart in contrast to Absalom's pride, Absalom was seeking self-satisfaction and his own monument. And from the word go, David just goes, there's only one thing I seek, and that's, that's the presence of God. Uh, obviously, David was king. Uh, he was very famous. Uh, towards the, the end of his life, there was a lot of money. There was a lot of resources. There was a lot of people. What happened in David's heart? Lord, if there's only one thing. I just wanted one thing. Can I? Can I, I want to seek you. I want to I dwell with you in your, in your dwelling. Obviously, in the Old Testament, we still had the vivid, literally, tent um, that was the dwelling place of God, which was all a foreshadow of him dwelling inside of us. But the condition in David's heart was, Lord, all the fame and everything that I have, there's one thing that I want, and that's you. There's one thing that I want, and that's what I want to speak into our hearts this morning. Whatever success we have on our plates, whatever success we have on our, in, our, in our books, personally, corporately, may our prayers continually be, Lord, if there's one thing I seek, I just want to dwell with you. I want to, I want to have that, that presence, that cultivation of having a sensitivity of the presence of God, which was the point I just spoke into uh, on the next slide. Uh, David's swell of God's presence, contrasting to Absalom's pride. Uh, I want me, and David said, I want him. I want to seek him. If we can read this together, not out loud, if you can focus on the screen. For us, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, there is but one dwelling place that our hearts are set on. One dwelling place that our hearts desire. One dwelling place that has our full attention and affection. One dwelling place where our knees are on the floor. We're not going to bow to any other God, any idol, any title, any position. There's one dwelling place that has our knees on the floor. One dwelling place that is worthy of hanging our thoughts and emotions. One dwelling place which receives the word from our lips. And that dwelling place is the presence of the Most High God. That's the hearts that, praise God, we have, but we can grow. And we need to cultivate that. And we never, ever, ever come to the place of, my heart is cultivated enough. I'm going to, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to start focusing a little bit more on me. Because I think, I think the humility thing is not really there. So maybe, maybe I can up my own name a bit. I know there's one thing that we seek. And that's the presence of God. Psalm 91. Verse only one to two. Would have wanted to read the whole one. But uh Here's the first two verses. Whoever dwells 
in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength. Sorry, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. So firstly, the soil of His presence. Secondly, the soil of God's promises. That's the soil that we need to cultivate. Um, bit of personal, personal stories kind of back, uh, back home. When COVID hit in, uh, in 2020, I decided to, for me, for cultivating, because we're responsible. That's a bit of responsibility that you have, not a bit. That's your responsibility, to cultivate that, that, um, that soil in your heart for the word of God to, to sustain. And obviously he does it, but you, you, there's, a, there's a desire from your side. So to cultivate my own heart, I decided to, I'm going to memorize Psalm 91 because it's just fear all over. And it's this media and it's that media, and it's this news and it's that wave. And it's not a wave at Vic Bay, it's a COVID wave. It's not a surfing wave, it's a, it's a different wave. It's a wave that nobody wants. I said, Lord, I want, to, I want to cultivate, I want that dwelling place. Where's my thoughts? Where's my emotions? Where's my trust? Where's my heart? Okay, first to put off the news helped, but I want to make sure that there's an environment here for the word of God to grow. Because if someone does come, will I have the faith even to pray for him? We, we must church, eh? we, we must go raise the sick, heal the dead, cast out demons. No, heal the sick, raise the dead. I always get that one wrong. He was very sick, so we had to raise him. Um, so I, I memorized Psalm 91. So day one, I went verse one. Day two, I went verse one and two. Day three, I went one, two, three. Day four, you get the, you get the thing. Uh, what it did to my heart was it set an atmosphere and a condition for God's promises. So that the news doesn't have the upper hand on my heart and my thoughts and my emotions. But God's word has the upper hand. And not just the upper hand, it's the focus um, that, we, that we want. So you can memorize Psalm 91. It'll be good. Psalm 23 is our next one. We sang it this morning. Preaching about two weeks ago, um, there's, there's a lot of angles to this, but I want to take one specific one. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack. I lack nothing. Not I don't lack some things. I lack nothing. I'll, I'll give some detail just now. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will well in the house of the Lord forever. David was a shepherd. So him writing Psalm 23 comes, I think, with a decent amount of insight. Jock is smiling again. So being in the field, you know what the, what the, what the animals do, but now you use this powerful spiritual illustration to write something on the Lord is my shepherd. David knew exactly what he was writing. He knew exactly what he was writing because although he was a physical shepherd, he knew that ultimately God is his shepherd. Make sense? So out of Psalm 23, which we can probably preach for a few weeks continually, here's what I want to take out of that. 
where Absalom provided for himself the soil in David's heart was the soil that God is my provider. Because if you think about a sheep and in the field, there's obviously the angle of protection, but that provision, and I'm sure many people have, have maybe done some homework on Psalm 23, that green pasture does not look like the field that you see outside. It's not the context. This was written, obviously, in the Middle East somewhere. It doesn't look like this in the Middle East. I've never been there, but I've, again, Google, help me, with some photos. Huh? It doesn't look like that. Maybe in my dream that one evening, but then I realized. <laughs> it doesn't look like this. It's these small patches of grass because of a certain slant of the hills and the environment. And again, there's everything you need um, for that pasture of grass. And the shepherds knew how to, to uh, kind of to, to, to tread that area. And they knew where with a little bit of dew in the morning, etc., etc. That's what it means when David said he leads us to pastures. I'm going to have my meal now because the shepherd led me to the patch, the pasture of grass. And not, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the next 20 years, I'm set. I mean, sit the scalpel so I'm satisfied. Uh, one sheep here, job done. Small patch. Providing, it's in relationship. What was Rudy's major last week? It's not so much about the word. If you lose the relationship, it's gone. It's, it's, it's here. What does the sheep need for his next pasture? He needs the shepherd. He needs the shepherd. Our hearts. Lord, we need you. We need you. Not because my bank balance is zero. I need you for life. You give life. You are love. My bank balance has nothing to do with me crying out to God with provision. Everything we have comes from him. Yes. That was David's heart. What was Absalom? I'll provide for myself. I'll build my own little, little army. I'll make sure I'm okay. Yes, God gives a skill to generate wealth. He's still provider. He's still provider. That was Absalom. That was David. And let's, if I can use the word, land with Jesus. Um, John 15. If you see it on the screen, you'll already see a lot of words that are highlighted. And something special out of John 15 um, that I've never really shared on before. The, the position of John 15, uh, as you, and this is not rocket science, open up your Bible, you can see there's John 15, so you can go f- check it out for yourself. John 14, 15, 16, 17. 14, 15, 16, 17. I quickly glanced over it. I can see one verse that Thomas asked Jesus something. It's four full-on basically chapters of Jesus speaking to his disciples. Chapter 14, starts speaking about the Holy Spirit. John 15, the vine, we know that. John 16, he goes on to the Holy Spirit. John 17 is that prayer of unity. John 18, crucifixion. So what was Jesus doing? For four chapters, I'm not sure how long they sat there, if it was one session or four days, I don't know. But continually what we have recorded is he made sure that they're hearing something because something is coming. What's coming? Obviously the betrayal. Jesus knows everybody's going to run away. Just by the way, Absalom betrayed the people with a kiss. Judas did exactly the same. That's a manipulative thread that we can see throughout Scripture. But um, the context of John 15, we're going to read now, is very specific. 
And I'll share the specific with you after verse 7. Here's the verses 1 to 7 of John 15. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. Last week's sermon. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And now he starts to get something in them. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Also dwell, if you read the Amplified. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 4 is the first time that we get recorded the word remain. The context of the word remain means remnant. The context of the word remain means remnant. What, what did Jesus know is coming? Like remnant means, and the people that stick after the tough time. That's what remnant means. It's like, stay here, although it gets tough. Stay here, although it gets tough. Stay here, although it gets tough. Stay, although everybody deserts me. Stay, you're going to have to remain. If you don't remain, you're not going to be fruit. Remnant. I actually wrote the definition. A small part or portion that remains after the main part no longer exists. It just puts a, I don't want to say it puts a spin on it. Creates a depth here. It also means dwell in the Amplified. But to read that as a remnant, I'm like, I need to stay close. I, I need to stay close, Jesus. So I just dub that as Jesus' soil of intimacy. In the next slide, may dwelling in his presence be our place, our location, and our position. It's all spiritual. At his feet, in his presence, is where we want to be. And this is where our nourishment comes from. We get our assignments in his presence. We receive our strength in his presence. We receive correction in his presence. We receive joy and the love of a heavenly father. We stick We remain. That's the place where we grow. Yes, we grow. Yes, it's truth. But that environment that's cultivated, that in, that's a specific place. It speaks about that place in Christ. And to land, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, summarizes this whole buildup to this beautiful portion. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, outsiders without rights of citizenship, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, God's people, And are members of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together. And it continues to increase, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, a sanctuary dedicated, set apart, and sacred to the presence of the Lord. In him, and in fellowship with another, with one another, 
you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What do people see when we leave those doors? They see church. What do they see ultimately? The Spirit of God working through us. So here's the most beautiful part, and that's for next time. Yes, we, we focus our pre- His presence, His promises, our provision, our hearts. Lord, we, we want you. He chose. That what you desired? I'm coming and I'm placing that dwelling place in you. So that when, when you're visible outside, back in that it was a tent. Now it's church. That He puts together for a dwelling place in the Spirit. Ain't that beautiful? Dwelling place. Grow in truth. Dwell in truth. Remain in truth.